If you've got a Bible, that's a good thing. Would you like to turn to a difficult passage of Scripture? I thought I'd tackle something difficult this morning, uh, just for the fun of it, really. And uh, you've heard my worst and my best sermons here. Uh, I I very much cut my teeth on preaching here, and uh, I've made some great mistakes and had some great times as well. But God's recently spoken to me out of this passage. In fact, interestingly enough, Paul Woodward invited me to come to uh, a North East Elders event uh, back in, I don't know what, that, when that was, February, February time. And he just said, have you got anything on your heart? And actually God had been speaking to me about how to handle difficulties, how to handle problems, how to handle suffering, and kind of a difficult subject really. And I said, well, Paul, I've got some stuff on that. He said, oh, that'd be great. Uh, just come and bring it. So I brought that. And this is really the basis of what I brought to those elders, which now I feel God has helped me to expand. And I want to bring it to you. But it was birthed here in Teesside uh, in February uh, this last year. So you've got a Bible. It's 2 Corinthians. It's New Testament, Paul's letter to the church that he founded in Corinth. You may remember that we took about two years to preach through, the, preach through Corinthians here. Some of you are very pleased to get out of Corinthians, uh, but we preach through that here. But this is 2 Corinthians, the second letter, and I want to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't often talk about that. It's one of those difficult passages in the Bible. It's one of those things that preachers tend to avoid because we don't know how to handle it. Nobody really knows what the thorn in the flesh was. I think that's a good thing that we don't know exactly what it was because if you knew exactly what it was, you would disqualify yourself by saying, that's not relevant to me because I haven't got what Paul had. And I think Paul uses it generally because actually the truth is this. Every single Christian I know, I don't know all of you very well, but I know some of you incredibly well, every single Christian I know has weakness. Every single Christian I know has vulnerability. Every single Christian I know has some problems in their family life or some difficulties that they're struggling with. And we, as pastors and leaders, and God's Word particularly is here to strengthen you, to help you, to aid you, and to equip you. So let's read God's Word together. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm simply going to read verses 7 down to verse 10. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations... There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the revelation of your love this morning. Thank you how Andy led us so brilliantly to experience you, to experience your love. Now, Lord, I ask you for the same anointing in the Spirit to come on the Word of God. We say, Lord, this isn't just information Lord, this is the revelation of the Spirit that we need. We need truth coming alive this morning that's going to help us and equip us to live for you. Therefore, Lord, I pray, help us, protect us, keep us, speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be sitting here thinking, life's great. I've got no problems. 
I've got no difficulties. Uh, I've never met anyone like that, by the way, but you may be here. And, uh, you know, everything's fine. It's rosy in the garden. I never have any financial issues. I never have any relational issues. I never have any difficulties. Life is just amazing. Everywhere I go, roses spring up and the sick get healed and people just make way and say, wow, this is the man or woman of God. Well, that may be true for you, but if I've got a word for you, and that's this. If your life is like that, don't worry. Don't feel you're disqualified from this word because a trouble is coming your way. Because actually all of us have troubles. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have difficulty. All of us experience that. I came across this scripture a few years ago. I probably even mentioned it here. It's one of the Proverbs. I love it. It says this, a righteous man falls seven times yet rises again. Don't you love that? A righteous man. We're not talking about sin here. We're not talking about an excuse for your internet habits. We're not talking about an excuse for your bad temper. We're not talking about an excuse for your mishandling of money. We're not talking about an excuse, oh, it's just my little weakness, you know, just my little vulnerability. Even Jeremy says every Christian has a weakness and a vulnerability. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about genuine weakness, genuine vulnerability. And this scripture says, a righteous man falls seven times. Now, when I first brought this, I brought it to elders, senior elders of churches. And they were all resonating with it. So if they resonate with it, I think we should resonate with it as well. Righteous men and women have vulnerabilities. Righteous men and women, people who are made righteous in Christ, cleaned up, still have vulnerabilities, still have weaknesses, still have difficulties. I've got a book by a guy called R.T. Kendall, who was an amazing pastor of Westminster Central chapel where the doctor, which is not Matt Smith, you understand, it's uh, the doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, of course, genuflect, uh, who was a great pastor and leader in London in the 50s and 60s. My parents happened to be members of his church, and uh, he was one of the greatest teachers and preachers this country has known in modern times. And R.T. Kendall wrote a book on the thorn in the flesh, and he listed down chapter after chapter of issues that, in his experience, normal Christians have. And these were some of the headings. I'm not going to preach his book. It's an interesting book. I notice Paul's got it on his shelf. You can borrow it from him. (laughs) This is what he he writes down. Loneliness. Bad employment. All these were relevant to Paul. No, no, no. (laughs) Loneliness, bad employment, an enemy. A handicap, these are all chapter headings. A disability, an unhappy home, a sexual misgiving, an unhappy marriage, a chronic illness, a personality problem, a financial struggle, an unwanted calling. Whatever it is, my guess is that you have something that makes you vulnerable. You have a weakness, you have difficulties, you have struggles. And it may be that... Everyone else seems to get breakthrough in that area. Everyone else seems to have wonderful fruit in that area, but it's a struggle for you. You may have seen people get breakthrough in that area. You may have even prayed for people who've had breakthrough in that area, but for you, it's a difficulty. For you, it's a struggle. What's worse is that you get breakthrough in every other area as well. You're a great person of faith. You see things happen. But in this area, it struggles, you struggle, and it's a struggle for you. And your temptation is to get frustrated, 
exasperated, sometimes guilt-ridden, sometimes angry, sometimes fearful, and sometimes even causes you to disbelieve what God's called you, because how could you fulfill the call of God with this vulnerability, with this weakness, with this challenge, with this suffering in your life? I'm here to tell you, you are in great company. The Apostle Paul was in that company. I am in that company. Anne is in that company. Paul and Jean are in that company. Simon and Jody are in that company. Raj and Charlotte are in that company. We're all in this great company of those who have weakness, who have vulnerability. For us, there's been lots. (laughs) I haven't got time to tell you them all. You could probably tell me all my weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You could probably list them brilliantly. For us, there's probably been two major ones over the last few years. The first one for us, I guess that you know so well here, because we've always chosen to be very open and honest about it, is our childlessness, our inability naturally to have children, which was a massive issue for us, particularly uh, in the 80s and 90s. We got married in 1983. Uh, We were pretty keen to have children during those times, but didn't happen for us. Walked through various tests, couldn't find anything that they could fix or sort out. Uh, We responded at every conference. In the 80s, and, and some of you can't even remember the 80s, some of you weren't even born in the 80s, but in the 1980s and into the 90s, all these big conferences, there was always an appeal for barrenness. Uh, it was before IVF and all these, you know, before we had to trust doctors, we trusted God, you know. Uh, now it's all right, you can fix it on the NHS. But in those days, it was kind of God uh, that we needed. And uh, there was always an appeal. Every conference I went to, whether it's New Frontiers, whether it was John Wimber, uh, whether it was Mahesh Shavda, whether it was all these uh, uh, Rambabu, whether it was all these names that are almost unpronounceable, whatever the, the conference speaker was, there was always an appeal. And Anne and I always went forward. We decided that we were going to live this publicly. We were not going to be private sufferers, but we were actually going to be open. And we were leaders of churches in those days, so it was kind of vulnerable for us. And we went forward at every meeting. First of all, you go forward and, you know, the young leader steps forward and everyone's keen to pray for you, all the apostles and all the prophets. And uh, then next year, nothing's happened. You notice you go forward and a few of the other elders come and pray for you. Then the next year you go forward, a few members of the congregation go come and pray for you. The next year you go forward, no jolly one prays with you. Nobody wants to associate with somebody who's, who's got difficulty. For us, that was an issue. I haven't got time to unpack that, but that was one of our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Just this last year, those of you who are my friends here and perhaps follow us on uh, various electronic medium will know that about uh, the beginning of August last year, uh, it was late at night, one Friday night, just having a glass of wine, as is our want, settling down in front of the television, probably about 10 o'clock. And you know when the house phone rings... The mobile's fine, but the house phone, when that rings late at night, you know there's something gone on, you know there's some difficulty. And it was my father to say that your sister's just suffered a massive brain hemorrhage. Uh, It's very unlikely that she'll live the night. Uh, She's 44 years old, three young children. And uh, to me, that was just such a massive issue, such a massive blow. We've never really struggled with health issues in our family life. And suddenly there, my sister, who I love dearly, is on the brink of death. And we're having to go to bed with this. Uh, We're having to, to carry this. 
Uh, and of course, you, you don't sleep well. I remember not sleeping well that night at all, waking many times in the night, thinking, oh God, please help my sister. Uh, then the phone call comes in the morning, and you, you dread the phone call. You're dreading it ring. You want it with all your heart to ring, and yet you dread it ringing. Uh, has she survived the night? Actually, she did survive the night, and uh, they went on to do a very successful brain operation on her, and uh, they've managed to stop the bleeding, stop the hemorrhage, uh, but it's left her incredibly disabled, uh, totally at the moment needing 24-hour nursing care. Ten months later, still wheelchair-bound, still hospital-bound, still with total paralysis down one side of her body uh, in terms of her right side, uh, and really an inability to speak and communicate properly. She can do a little bit of that, but not properly. Uh, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story, but what I'm saying is for the last 10 months, we've just lived with that. We've lived day in, day out with the difficulty, with the heartache, with the why God, what are you doing in all this? Where is your power? Where is your hand in all this? And if you read the Psalms, the psalmist so often cries out, oh God, what's going on? My enemies, my difficulties, my troubles, my sufferings, why don't you fix it now? I thought I just pressed a button and God answered in this day and age. And actually God is much more interested in walking us through a process and walking and working in our life than he is about quick fixes. Have you noticed that? We don't get quick fixes always with God, do we? Actually, he's more interested in walking us through a process. It's so different from the world. The world says you must be strong. Actually, this passage says God gives grace to the weak. God makes the weak strong. A friend of mine, Joe Crummy, who leads an apostolic base in Canada that we have the pleasure of working with now, a year or so ago, if you remember, I went out from here for the first time to Canada about three years ago, and uh, we were working with one church in Canada. Now we're working with six churches. On top of that, four new church plants. On top of that, four other churches saying they're wanting to look into our movement there. And Joe, who leads our base there in Fredericton in New Brunswick, in the eastern side of Canada, and by the way... When you stand in Canada, you're still, when you stand in Fredericton, you're still nearer to London than you are to Vancouver, which is a bit bizarre. We're also planting a church, by the way. And Joe was told at Bible College this. He was told this. Never let them see that you're vulnerable. They, you, you will only let them down. Now, I'm here to tell you that Christian leadership and Christ followers are different. Vulnerability is part of the game. Vulnerability is part of the calling. Vulnerability is who we are before God. And if you're struggling with issues, you are not alone. You are in great company. I've just learned five things that I want to very quickly share with you through this period of time. And then we're going to pray for people at the end who feel right now they're facing vulnerabilities. The first thing is this that I've learned from this passage particularly. Number one, God is always sovereign. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You might say, that doesn't say anything about the sovereignty of God. It does to me, because Paul knew that he wasn't a victim of circumstances. Paul knew that this just wasn't happening to him by chance. He knew that only the Lord could take this away. Now, in Paul's case, it was a demonic attack. We don't know what it was. If you read the commentaries and the theological books on it, 
as I've kind of researched it, there's so many theories about what this thorn in the flesh was. In fact, I'm pleased that we don't know, because like I said, if we knew it was one particular thing, we'd go, oh yeah, it's all right to get God's grace if you've got that, but I've got this. I think it's good that it's general, it's good that it's vague, it's good that it's not too specific, because it catches all of us. Some people think it was a problem with his eyes. Maybe even as a result of an illness, perhaps even malaria. When he goes to Galatia, he talks about how they received him. He says, it was because of an illness that I came to you. Don't preach that very often, but Paul says to Galatia, it's because of an illness that I came to you. Probably diverted in his travels. And he said, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And you go, huh? What does that work? You know, generally, you know, I came in and uh, who was the f- you know, one of the first people I was greeted with here. Uh, they didn't say to me, oh, Jeremy, it's wonderful to see you. Let me pluck my eyes out for you. You know, they don't do that. But if you had an eye problem, perhaps somebody would say that metaphorically. If I could, I'd pluck my own eyes. And get- perhaps that was his problem. We just don't know what it was. Some people think that the word thorn in the flesh is a phrase like a common idiom. So if I said, do you know what, in Manchester I've got a right pain in the neck, you probably wouldn't think that I needed a chiropractor. You probably would think that I'm referring to a people or a group of people that are a pain in the neck to me. And it may well be that the the verse, the thorn in the flesh, is talking about pain. And certainly Paul had trouble. Certainly he had trouble. If you've got that passage open, just flick over to the next chapter. Just flick over... Sorry, I beg your pardon. Just flick over to the previous chapter, chapter 11, and just look at this. This is the the diary of of an apostle, right? A diary of an apostle. Chapter 11, let's pick it up from verse 23. I've worked hard. I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. Danger from bandits. Danger from my own countrymen. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the country. And from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else... I daily face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I go blow all the churches. Look at my life. Look how difficult it is for me. And he says, no, even in the difficulties, and on top of all that is my love for you, my concern. We don't often talk about these things. Paul struggled. Paul had difficulties. We don't know which one of these was the thorn in the flesh. But it kind of covers all sorts of issues. But I found this. God is sovereign. He appealed, he said, Lord, would you take this away from me? Three times. I don't think that was two plus one or four minus one. I think it was a sense of the three in the Bible. There's a sense of completeness, a trinity, a sense of the third heaven. There's a sense of this three. Lord, he kept on, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. He didn't say, Lord, I've got these circumstances. Neither did he say it's spiritual warfare. When I first moved to Teesside, none of you, but some people, said, oh, it's a hard place. Up on those there hills, evil things happen. It's a dark place. 
Nothing grows in Teesside. Alpha, oh, that won't work in, it won't work in Teesside. No, I can't even do the accent now, I've been away too long. <laughs> I love Teesside, me. <laughs> it won't work here, they say. It's, it's all Holy Trinity, Brompton and London and Kensington in it. It won't work, Nicky Gumbel in it, you know. It won't work here, you know. We thought, no, it's not culture we're appealing to. It's the gospel that bears fruit everywhere all over the world. And it'll bear fruit in Teesside. And we stopped counting when we saw, we saw 100 people saved on Alpha. We kind of stopped counting. We should have carried on, shouldn't we, Stu? Counted numbers. But we kind of stopped after the first 100. And, but God did it. And God will do it again. And God is doing it again. We are not at the mercy of spiritual warfare. We're at the mercy of a living God who holds all things together. He is the sovereign. Nothing happens without his permission. He is in control. Let me quote you from a book written by Margaret Clarkson called Grace Grows Best in Winter. (laughs) Good title. This is what she says. The sovereignty of God is one of the impregnable rocks. Sorry, let me stop again because she says it in singular. The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. Circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil. She acknowledges that. But that evil is held firmly within the hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him. And evil cannot possibly touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. God is sovereign. God is in control. Now, some of you might remember, because I've referred to it here, it didn't touch you up here in the north, but in the late 80s, there was a little wind going on in the south of England. It was called the Great Storm of 87. And uh, some of us will remember it. Some of us may have even been in the south. The epicenter of it hit my hometown of Hastings. In fact, more people died in Hastings during that storm than anywhere else across the country. There was, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 people who died that night. A near town to us called Seven Oaks was renamed One Oaks overnight uh, because the trees just went down. We had a great park in Hastings called Alexandra Park. It's a beautiful park, goes up the valley, and uh, in it were loads of specimen trees from all over the world. It was a beautiful park, mighty pines, mighty spruces, mighty all sorts of mighty... There was even cedars of Lebanon and all sorts of things there. But actually, what happened in that time, because it was a kind of fruitful valley, they hadn't really had to do a lot of work, suddenly this storm came through and decimated. And Anne and I have got some photos, which we found the other day, of every tree down in Alexandra Park. Literally, the whole thing down. Just all gone, decimated in a night. Now, if you go out a little bit further from Hastings, you come to Romney Sands and Dungeness Point. Dungeness Point is considered such a beautiful spot that when they considered where should we build a nuclear power station in the south, there was no doubt, Dungeness. In Dungeness, there are a few, quite a few, gnarled old trees. And do you know how many of those gnarled old trees went down during the great storm of 87 that hit Dungeness as powerfully as it did Hastings? Not one. Because their roots go down deep into the subsoil. And when you face difficulties and problems, 
It's God's way of helping you in his sovereignty to push your roots down deep to, as Margaret Clarkson says, cling on to the one impregnable rock, the sovereignty of God. Number two, God always has a reason. Paul says it's to keep me from being conceited. Now, I'm not saying that the sufferings that Anne and I have gone through are because of the great revelations we've had. I'm not saying that's because of you. But I am saying this. Paul knew there was a reason, and there is a reason for what you're going through. There is a reason for your troubles. It's easier to live with difficulty and suffering if you know there's a reason, if you know there's a purpose to it. For Paul, it was to protect him from pride because of these great revelations, to produce meekness and humility in him. Now, you might not know what it is, but there is a reason. You might not find out until eternity, but you'll find out there was a reason. There was a purpose in God's sovereignty. God isn't just playing some roulette with your life for the fun of it. God is working all things, the Bible says, together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Certainly, it'll be so that you can identify with others. Certainly, Anne and I can identify with those who are going through family bereavement, family difficulty, much more easily now than we could before. Certainly, we can identify with the barren and the childless couple more than we could before because of what we've gone through. I don't know what the reason is, but all I know is this. God is sovereign and God is working with a reason in your life. There is a purpose behind it. It will certainly be for the glory of God one day. They brought a man blind to Jesus and they said, ha ha, who sinned? This man or his parents? And Jesus said, no, no one sinned. This is for the glory of God. And God will use weakness, vulnerability, disability, difficulties for his glory. And as I said, also for your good. But we're also to take an eternal perspective on these things. We might never work it all out in this life. But in eternity, in the light when we see back all that God has done, we'll go, oh Lord, thank you, you allowed that weakness to happen. Thank you, Lord, you allowed that to go on in my life. Thank you, Lord, you were kind enough, you were a good enough father to allow trouble and difficulties to come to me that I might grow, that we might see that breakthrough, that we, this might happen. Because now I see it. Now I understand. Paul write, uh, David writes this amazing psalm. I think it's 73. I was just reading it through in my own devotions uh, just recently, uh, just this last week actually. And uh, he says, why do the unrighteous prosper? You know, I'm a good bloke. I know some good people. Why does all the bad people, you know, why does all the bad people do well? That's what he said. And then he said, and then I took an eternal perspective. I saw a heavenly perspective. And I realized that the Lord was in control of earth. And he's in control of heaven. And he's working all things together for good. Doesn't say exactly those words, but that's what he's saying. God is sovereign and God is working it out. Let me quote from Jerry Bridges, who I really appreciate his teachings. He says this, God is in control of our pain and suffering. He has in mind a beneficial purpose for it. There is no such thing as pain without purpose for the child of God. God is sovereign in other people's actions, whether we believe it or not. Our belief does not make it so, but the comfort God intends for us to 
derived from his sovereignty is dependent on us believing it. In other words, he says, it's true whether you believe it or not. God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a purpose. It's true whether you believe it or not. But if you believe it, then there's great comfort from that. And God wants you to know great comfort that your Father in heaven is working all things together for your good and his glory. Point number three. God will always provide everything you need. My power, God says, is made perfect in weakness. Let me give you some other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own goodness and glory. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. And my experience, both going through issues of childlessness and both going through issues of personal suffering with my sister this last year, is that in the moment God gives grace, what God doesn't do is store up grace for future. He gives you grace for today. He gives you grace to live and breathe and work it out in the moment. And he will give you grace. I told you about our phone call at 10 o'clock at night. I had another phone call at 8 o'clock in the morning to tell me that my sister, as I said, had survived the night, was rushed to London to do a major brain surgery. She had a series of operations but just prior to that, I'm so pleased that I have some discipline. I'm so pleased that the disciplines of grace are in my life. And I went down and I started just to read the Bible from where I got to. I've got one of these read the Bible in a year. It takes me two years, but I've got one of those books, <laughs> in case you think I'm very spiritual. And uh, I got up to the reading, and the reading was Psalm 91 that morning. And this is what it said, with long life I will satisfy. And I just felt it leaked out, leapt out in me. The next day, I was reading a portion of David's life where he handed over the kingdom to Solomon, and twice in the passage, it said this, with long life, I will satisfy you. And I just felt God gave me that Psalm 91, and he, he gave it to me. Now, interestingly enough, we, when we went into the hospital to see my sister, uh, she was in a coma for two weeks, effectively, and uh, when we went in there, uh, she hadn't stirred from the coma at all. I was warned that she'd been in a state, her head was, head was shaved, it was a massive hole with great staples, and they'd taken the skull, part of the skull out, and it was going to be a bit grim. And I was prepared for that. I've seen people in hospital before. I'm, I'm not particularly... You know, you look beyond all that when you love someone, actually. And I wasn't concerned about that at all. And as I walked in, Anna and I walked into this hospital ward in King's College Hospital in London. We could see all the wires, all the bleeping machines, all the everything all connected to Joanna. And we just saw it. We looked at her. And she was so peaceful there, unconscious. And as we started to introduce ourselves to the nurses, oh, I'm Jeremy, I'm Joanna's uh, brother, uh, suddenly she started to stir out of the coma. And they say that it's to do with a voice that is probably male and deep, <laughs> but she recognised for uh, the whole of her life. Actually, not from her husband, interesting enough, or from her children, but from her brother. At this point, my parents hadn't been able to visit her. They wasn't allowed uh, for, for them to visit at this point. And actually, she started to stir from that. At that moment, we were joined by Joanna's curate, 
Uh, Joanna goes to a charismatic Anglican church in a place called Deal, which is, Deal's a small town on the south coast of about 40,000 people. They have 300 people in their charismatic, alpha-driven Anglican church, which is absolutely wonderful. And the curate, who was a lady, interestingly enough, comes in dressed in her regalia, and, uh, you know, all, I'm having all these issues, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, she then starts to, she then starts, she gathers us together in the bed and she starts, she says, as it says in James, call the elders of the church and anoint them with oil. She gets the oil out and I'm thinking, at least there's one elder here. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, you know, I, I'm having issues. I'm having issues here. And uh, she's got a dog collar and all that. And anyway, she starts, she opens the Bible, she says, I've just got this reading for you. Psalm 91, and she reads that out again. And then the next day, one of our young leaders in Manchester, as Anne was referring to, texted me, I've just got a scripture for you, Jeremy. Just feel particularly Psalm 91. God gives grace in the moment. He gives grace when you need it. He doesn't store it up. It wasn't like, oh yes, I looked back at my book of precious promises when in time of trouble, and I'd written down Psalm 91, or I'll go and get out one of my precious promises. No, it was in the moment. It was in the need. It was in the time God will give you help. Fourthly, God always gives strength to the weak. For my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is so consistent with his promises. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Do you want strength? Well, then it's to the weary. Increase your power? Yeah. It's to the weak. Psalm Psalm 18, verse 32. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. It seems that it's God's very heart to give strength to those who know they're weak. In fact, it seems that weakness in the Bible is even somehow wrapped up in God's choice of you. How do the weak get in? Because God chooses the weak. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, God chose the weak to shame the strong. Now who in the Bible do you think is seen as the strongest man in the Old Testament? Who would you think, who kind of pops out of you that you, one of the good guys, who would you see as one of the good guys who you think is one of the strongest men? Jesus isn't really in the Old Testament an awful lot, Jamie, although, you know, there are some Christophanies and Theophanies in appearance, but it's good that all the answers are Jesus, but there was a little clue in the Old Testament, but, you know, thank you, Jamie, we go back a long way. Who else did, somebody said, somebody said, somebody said, somebody said Samson, that's right. Everyone thinks Samson is the strong man of the Bible. Everyone thinks he's big. Everyone thinks he's strong. Everyone thinks they have this picture of him. In my Sunday school books, I had this picture of him, you know, somewhere across between Vin Diesel and, uh, I don't know, and, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know who the, who's, the, who's the latest people who have, you know, I don't know. Don't, don't say Stu, Graham. But, uh, you know, I don't know who the kind of big muscular guys are. But, uh, you know, like Stu Graham with legs, you know. I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I don't know who the big guys are. But you know, you, you, that's my image of Samson. Actually, d- what's Delilah charged with when she goes to be intimate with Samson? What's she charged with? Do you know? What's she, what do they ask her? 
Find out where his strength comes from. Now, if he was a great muscular thing, you don't ask, where does he get his strength from? It's pretty obvious. No, actually, it says the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and he was made strong. See, it's a powerful supernatural thing. And actually, you are weak, but the Spirit of the Lord can come upon you and empower you and make you strong and to admit your weakness, to admit your dependency of God is actually the start of strength. Jesus said this, John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Well, nothing meaningful, nothing lasting, nothing worthwhile, apart from me. We need to know where our strength comes from. My friend David Holden says this, admitting your weakness is not a weakness. (laughs) It's a strength. Number five, and lastly... I'm actually called to boast about it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest upon me. The more I admit my weakness, the more I'm open about my vulnerability, the more I come out behind this Christian mask, how are you? I'm fine. Everything's great. The more I admit it, actually the more likely I am to receive God's power and to receive all that is available for me. You see, the world despises weakness. You want to get a bunch of Christian leaders together and they're kind of all impressing one another by how big their church is, what buildings they've got, what church plants they're doing. I call it the ABC, you know, attendance buildings, church plants. You know, it's, uh, we're so good. We're so... You very rarely get leaders going, do you know what, it's really pants at the moment. Do you know what, you know, we, ha- we had 100 on Alpha, uh, then nobody turned up the next week. <laughs> you know what, we went for a building, we didn't get it. Do you know what, actually the numbers are failing. Do you know what, we're struggling. And actually, sometimes, we mustn't make these things up, but if they're true, we've got to be honest. Because actually, it's in your admitting your vulnerability and you're admitting your weakness that God's power is available. We've got a funny view of success. Numbers, buildings, church plants. Actually... Sometimes success is admitting our vulnerability. In this context, the context of this scripture, I didn't give it to you, Paul is writing because the super apostles have come to town. Do you know those guys? The super guys are in. Capes flowing back. Miracles happening all over the place. Paul says they're very impressive. Miracles are happening. And the Corinth, who was planted by Paul are looking to go, wow, there's a super apostle around. Literally uses those words, super apostle. Wow. Look what miracles. Look what healing. Look what they're doing. Oh, they're very impressive. And suddenly, this church that was linked to Paul and his mission is vulnerable, starting to look to to elsewhere. Now, what does Paul say? He doesn't say, well, miracles. Miracles? You want to talk about miracles? I could do a few miracles. I've seen some amazing things. I've seen heaven opened. I've seen Jesus. You know, I saw, you know, he doesn't say that at all. He says, do you want to know my credentials then? Let's do show and tell. Let's do a compare and contrast. Miracles, super apostles. I'm weak. That's my, that's my qualification. I qualify, says Paul. I'm weak. I'm qualified to lead. Their claim was in their strength, but Paul knew that any power he had came from the Lord Therefore, he was not going to take credit for it. 
We've got to be careful, guys, as we share stories. We've got to be careful as we tell good news even. Actually, all the glory must go to him. You know, I've seen your elders. <laughs> you know, it's not down to them. It really isn't. Even Jill and Andy. You know, it's not down to them that we've got this massive work amongst uh, international. It's the grace of God, because we were pretty weak, weren't we, Andy? Still, <laughs> <laughs> but grace and God's goodness and God's mercy has come to us because we knew we were weak. And the challenge, actually, is not when you're starting off. You kind of know your weakness when you're starting off. The challenge is when you get a bit of a reputation. You know, Teesside's getting a bit of a reputation now. Bit of a big church, bit of a good church, international church. Count the nations, count the flags. We had them all there. You know, we're doing so well. <clears throat> it's great. I love it. Apart from, you know, <laughs> apart from the windscreen wiper flags. I was, a bit, I was a bit nervous about that. I was a bit worried about Dave's hair. You know, <laughs> it's vulnerable at the best of times, isn't it, Dave? But, you know, you don't need, don't need being, uh, being knocked off by the windscreen wipers. But, you know, I, I, I said to Anne, only in Teesside. <laughs> I, I remember the time when we were just about to lay hands on elders, the first eldership. We had two elderships in this church that I was in, uh, privileged to lead the first time, and uh, it was with uh, Jed and Steve. Uh, just about to, it was a holy moment, just about to lay hands on elders. And behind the curtain, there's always a curtain, isn't there? Behind the curtain, Paul and Jonathan had made this contraption that suddenly, sp- at the real inappropriate moment, like just at the wrong time, suddenly spurted confetti all out over us. And we're going, what is this? Is it the glory dust? You know, no, it's, it's, we've been windstoned, you know, that's, that, that, that's just, that's just what happens. Listen, let me bring this in for a landing. I know I'm amongst friends here. There's vulnerability, there's weakness, but actually the point is this, as Paul says, when I am weak, then I'm strong. Joel 3, verse 10. Let the weak say, I am strong. Hebrews 11, 32 to 34. Let me finish with this scripture. It says this. I don't have time to tell, neither do I, about Gideon, Barak, Samson. I've told you about him. uh, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the age of the sword, whose weakness... What do you mean weakness? David, Samuel, Barak, Gideon, Samson? Yeah, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Dear friends at Teesside, our weakness is going to be turned to strength. As we admit our vulnerability, as we say, Lord, I'm an empty vessel, I'm a a cracked pot, I'm a jar of clay... Do you know what? You get filled with glory. You get empowered by the Spirit. You get filled with Him. And that was Paul's testimony time and time and time again. I wonder if I could have the band back up, please, Andy. Are we going to sing something appropriate? <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you. So, not, 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 I gather not gigging is the thing to say. Is that right? Um, uh, according to the Archbishop, not too, not too giggy. <laughs> um, something that we can receive from God. Because I really believe today that, you know, there's no super apostles amongst you. There's no superstars here. 
We're all the people of God, and we can all receive from the Spirit. We can all receive from God. And right now, just listen, right now, there's weakness. Right now, there's vulnerability. Right now, there are areas of your life that you know God is putting his finger on. And I'm not promising you that God will fix it today, but what I am promising you is this, the truth of the Scripture. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the weak and the vulnerable come and receive strength from heaven and strength from God to equip you. So if that's you, why don't we all stand? But if that's you, why don't you start to make your way forward and we want to pray for you. There's going to be lots of us responding to this. There's going to be lots of us responding to this. I'm just going to pray And even while I pray, if you feel at the moment I'm in a weak place, I'm in a vulnerable place, then we want to pray for you. Ministry leaders, community leaders, small group leaders, those who are involved in leading these areas, please come and help us pray because the Spirit of God's going to come on people. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We recognize our weakness, we recognize our vulnerability. We're not talking about sin, but we're talking about.